Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the College and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. So, we are um, two weeks into a series on the spiritual disciplines of Christ. And last week, we kicked off this mini-series talking about the prayer life of Jesus. And we're looking at, as we go into the new year in 2016, how can we best um, take ways that we can grow and develop in our walk with God? What do we do? What do those spiritual disciplines look like? What can I practically do to ensure that I'm growing in the Lord this year? So as, as we're kind of stepping into this new year, we're looking at the spiritual disciplines of Jesus and the way that he modeled to us some of these spiritual disciplines, and then we're looking at how they apply to our lives. So last week we talked about his prayer life, and we talked about how he was able to come before the Father in the variety of his emotions and situations, and that he had worked up such this discipline of prayer that he would come before the Lord regardless of what life looked like. And so this morning, we're going to continue this series. Uh, We're in week two, and we're talking through Christ's discipline in the Word of God. Now, perhaps maybe another predictable topic, but we're going to see the way that Christ modeled um, the Word of God for us, how He used it, then how do we use it, what's the Word of God really for. Uh, We're going to ask and kind of wrestle and nuance through some of these questions together. So we're going to jump in that in just a second, but before we do that, Um, I'd like us to go to a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 4. So if you got your Bibles, I'm going to put this mic over here so it doesn't fall. If you got your Bibles, let's go to Luke 4 together. You can pull it up on your phones, whatever floats your biblical boat. So Luke chapter 4, we're going to read this, we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump headfirst into this topic, which I'm really excited about. Okay, Luke chapter 4. Verses 1, Jesus has just been baptized and about to be sent out into his ministry at 30 years old, about to heal the sick, he's about to raise the dead, he's about to um, shake and move in the kingdom and bring some people to salvation. But before he has to do that, he, he goes in the wilderness and is tempted for 40 days. Many of us know the story. But let's read Luke 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. And here's where we insert that cliché preacher line of, of 40 days he was hungry. Yeah, that, that's the biggest understatement in the Bible. <laughs> you know. But uh, we, won't, we won't insert that. You, you can say that if you want. Verse 3, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. We see here that Jesus uses scripture to defend against the temptation of the enemy. Verse 5, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all of this will be yours. Then Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Again, Jesus uses scripture to defend against temptation. Verse 9, Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, 
throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they'll, they'll bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Kind of twisting scripture a little bit here. And Jesus said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And for the third time, we see this theme and this practice that Jesus used the word to defend against the temptations of the enemy. And finally, in verse 13, which is where we're going to end. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So Jesus here, we see initially models the way in which we are to use the word. And we're going to get back to this passage a little bit later. We're going to study this in just a couple minutes. But for now, let's pray and ask the Lord to be here with us, ask his spirit to speak to us as we handle and go before his word, okay? So let's pray together. Father, you are the reason that we're here. God, you're the reason that we study the scripture. You're the reason that we can be in community with each other. You're the reason that we're here at church. And Lord, we give this morning to you. And Holy Spirit of the living God, we invite you here this morning. God, let us not just talk about the scripture and let us not just look at some Bible passages and verses, but Lord, would you transform us with what we read this morning? And I pray that we would be disciplined and we would uh, do everything that you command us to do this morning through your word. God, we thank you that your Holy Spirit's here with us. And we thank you that you are a father who loves us and who desires to draw near. So Holy Spirit, would you saturate this place? And we pray that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart would be pleasing to you this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on. Amen. Amen, amen. Well... When I was growing up, I had some skewed uh, misconceptions and notions about the Word of God, and, and maybe some of you can relate to this. But when I was growing up, I would wake up every morning when I was younger, probably six, seven, eight, and I would wake up, and every morning I would see my dad spending time with the Lord. And this image was branded in my memory because every morning he would have the lamp on, he'd be sitting on the couch, the Bible in one hand, and a hot cup of coffee in the other. And so, and I can even like smell the hazelnut creamer as I, as I talk about this. But my dad had this habit of being in the Word every single morning. And, and it was great, but being young and being a little bit naive, I kind of had some skewed uh, misconceptions about the Word because of that. Because me being a six-year-old, I thought, well, okay, if, if my dad spends time in the Word every morning and he only drinks coffee with it, well then I have to drink coffee when I read the Word. And it, sound, it sounds stupid, but, you know, it's what I believed. So when I was younger, the excuse for not reading the Word was, eh, I don't really like coffee, so you can't read the Word without coffee, right? Some of us might still be in that habit. So I'm, I'm going to pass on the Word, sorry. And then when I was older, maybe a little more of high school age, I would say, I love coffee, but I don't like waking up early. My dad used to wake up early, so yeah, I think I'll take the snooze button over that. Give me the coffee, but I'll pass on the word. And actually, when I was in high school, I had this nasty habit of, like, at the beginning of the year, trying to be disciplined. You know, I had, like, no discipline in my life. But at the start of the new year, everybody's setting these resolutions, right? So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get disciplined. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake up early, you know, 4.45 every single morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in the Word. I'm going to read it. I'm going to drink my coffee. I'm going I'm to read it because I'm disciplined, right? And so I'd, I'd wake up, I'd turn my lamp on in my bed, and I'd stay in bed and read. And that was my first mistake, was that I stayed in bed. When the pillows, the nice warm pillows, electric blanket was on me, you know, on a cold Colorado winter. 
but I'm disciplined, right? I'm going I'm to read the word. I'm going to get disciplined this year. So I'm waking up, and I would crack open the scriptures to like, you know, the book of Ezekiel or Malachi, like these deep prophetic books that are talking about prophecies that I have no idea what they mean. But, I, but I'm like jumping into Habakkuk. I'm like, yeah, here we go. I'm getting disciplined. And so I'd read it, and I'd be pumped. And then inevitably, every single morning, I would just kind of nod off, you know, like pull one of these. The coffee hadn't really hit my bloodstream yet. I was just, I was nodding off. And I was trying, I was trying to work hard, and I was trying to be disciplined, but yet I would just, I would fall asleep because it was so freaking early. I mean, how's a high schooler wake up at 4.45? And inevitably, every morning, I, I would get to the point where I'd be like, you know, whatever. I'd shut my Bible, I'd put it on my nightstand, and no exaggeration, I would pray these words as I put the blankets over me. Like, Lord, I just, you're a God of rest, so I just want to rest in you this morning. Let me... <laughs> Let me just rest. Yes, like speak to me, God, as I sleep. Mm, thank you. You know, as a way to kind of curb the guilt I may have felt for, for cheating a little bit. But I, I think when we grow older and, and when we grow up, and especially as we're in our, the 18, 19, and 20-somethings range, we, we need to start asking these questions about the word. We need to start really wrestling through questions that we may have, such as, okay, well, being disciplined in the Word, does that really mean that I have to wake up in the morning? Like, like, do I have to read the Bible in the morning, or can I read it at night? And if I read it at night, does that mean I'm not disciplined? Or questions like, okay, well, what about if I do read the Bible, and I'm being disciplined, do I have to stick to, like, a Bible reading plan? Do I have to do, like, a Bible in one year kind of thing? Or can I just jump around? Can I start in Romans one week, and then maybe, maybe the next week be in Genesis, and then be in Jude, and, and can I skip around? Is that not being disciplined in the Word? And some of us um, may ask questions like, okay, well, I like spending time with God, but can I, can I just do like devotionals, like a little devo? Can I read a Brené Brown book? Can I do like some Max Lucado devotionals? Can I read my utmost for his highest? Like, like does it have to be the Bible? And these are all good questions, but I think if we focus too much on answering these questions and make the Word of God and being disciplined in it kind of in this nice, tidy little box, then we're missing the whole purpose of why we have the Word. But again, I think we still need to wrestle through these things. So that being said, I want us to jump into our first discussion of the morning as we're talking through these, these skewed beliefs and, and these things that can cause us to um, maybe not understand the Bible the way it should be. Let's jump into our first discussion the question is, what are some misconceptions of the word that can cause us to have wrong beliefs about di- being disciplined in it? It's kind of a mouthful, but basically, what are some wrong beliefs we may be thinking and believing that stunts our beliefs in being disciplined in the word? Make sense? Everybody with me? Okay, ready, set, everybody say it with me. Discuss. Go. Good conversations, good, good. Yeah, so... So with these misunderstandings, they can, they can bring these questions up of, of, okay, like we were talking, talking about like lineage and origin passages, meaning so-and-so begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so who begot, you know, and it's, it's like 60 verses of like begotting and begotting and, and who is this and okay, what do I do with this? Do I, am I ready to like evangelize to my friend like, well, Abraham begot so-and-so who begot, you know. Like, you're not going to do that. But, but these questions arise of, of kind of out of, well, okay, well, what do I do with this? Like, what do I do with the word? What's, this, what's really the purpose of the word? I've heard 
preachers and, and church leaders say, well, it's to spend time with God, but what do I practically do with it? And for me, the questions that I had along these lines began to get more and more answers the more and more I looked to Jesus and his model of using the word. Um, because scripture talks about what scripture is and what scripture does, but who better to study than Jesus in his use of the word for us to learn how to use it in our lives? Does that make sense? So, um, so we see, actually, we're going to do that. We're going to look at how Jesus used the word. But we, we see that the word was actually present at the very, very beginning of creation. And so in, in order to see how Jesus used the word, let's go all the way back to Genesis. And I hope you guys can track with me. But we're going to look at, at the presence of the word in the very beginning. Because we all know the story of Genesis and the creation account, how God created the heavens and the earth and the stars and the, the land and the sea and the birds and the trees. And then he creates man. And man, he gives him commands. Now, now the word was present not through canonized scripture, that is, not through the physical, tangible, written word of God like we have today, but the word of God was present through the very mouth of God and God giving man commands. So he creates all this stuff, and then he creates Adam, and he recognizes, wait, it's not good that man's alone. So then he creates Eve. And I'm only a year and a half into marriage, but I already recognize that that gift of woman is like a game changer to this planet. Because my wife, JC, like keeps me in check. She balances me out. She tells me when I'm saying or doing something stupid or when I'm wearing something that makes me look like a complete idiot. And so woman is, is truly God's greatest gift to creation. And all the women in the house said, amen, yeah, yeah. Wave those napkins, uh-huh. But there you go, yeah, note cards, that works too. But uh, so, so God creates woman, and it's man and woman on earth in this fruitful garden of Eden. And he, he sits them down, and he says, Adam and Eve, I'm laying out all this stuff in front of you. You have all these trees to eat from. You want a banana? Eat a banana. You want an orange? Eat an orange. You want a watermelon? Yeah, break it over your knee and dine on some watermelon. But you can have all this stuff, but... There's one tree and there's one fruit that you may not eat of. And that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You must not eat of those fruits. And so God gives Adam and Eve and humanity right there a clear command, a clear word. He, he gives them the word of God, lays it out for them and says, you can do this. You can be blessed in all of this. But there's this one area where I'm giving you this command, do not eat from this tree. And we know the story that Adam and Eve end up going against that word. And so we're going to go to Genesis 3. We're not going to read it, but if you want to kind of read it as, I'm, as we're talking, you can do that too. But in Genesis 3 then, where the word of God was laid out, then the enemy, the serpent, the snake, um, slithers across the ground, or no, walks across the ground, I guess. That's theologically incorrect. Don't mind me. Um, he's walking across the ground, and he, he finds Eve, and he says, wait a minute, what did God tell you yesterday or last month or a year ago? Like, well, what about that tree? And then he calls into question the word of God. And what does he say? 
He says, did God really tell you not to eat of that fruit? Like, did he really say you couldn't eat of it? No, you can eat of it. And when you do, you'll be like God. See, because God over here, this loving father, this, this person that you've been walking in the cool of the day with, that you've had a relationship with, you see, he's actually lying to you. Because when you eat of this fruit, you'll become like him and your eyes will be open. And Eve, initially, we see in Genesis 3, she, she tries to, as Jesus did, use the word of God. Like, no, God did say that we aren't to eat of the fruit. And, and she, she tries to defend a little bit, but ultimately, she falls into temptation. She sets the word of God aside, and she disobeys, and then she gives the fruit to Adam, and Adam disobeys. And so they went against the word of the Lord, Adam and Eve, and they chose not to heed the words of the Lord and not to obey the word of God, and thus they threw mankind into sin and death. And so they both, the thing for us to recognize is they both knew the word, and they both had heard the word, and the word of God was before them. Again, not in canonized, physical, tangible scripture. They didn't have the book of Philippians. They didn't have First and Second Corinthians. They didn't even have Deuteronomy or the Pentateuch. But the word of God was present through them through God's command, his verbal decree to them. So it was in front of them. They had a, an explicit command, do not eat of this, yet they ate. And they disobeyed and they sinned and went against the word of the Lord. And thus, the entire human race and all of humanity was plunged into sin and darkness until the time of Jesus. And when I think of this, I think of um, Rush, my little baby boy Rush. He's four months old. He's cute. He's adorable. I should have a picture up here to ooh and ah about, but he's like one of the best things in my life. So as a dad, I know that though he's four months old right now, there's going to come a day very, very soon where he's going to be four years old and where he's going to have his mother's mischievous spirits, where he's like, yeah, let's break some stuff. Let's kick stuff. Let's like stick my finger in power sockets. And you know, I was the, I was the kid who like had it all together. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I comb over, buttoned up shirt to the top. Like, yes, ma'am. But my wife was the one like, yeah, let's break stuff. Let's like smash some windows. Let's disobey. Let's, I mean, I'm kind of kidding, but not really. She, she would admit a little bit. But, uh, but I know that Rush is going to grow up, and he's going to be four years old, and he's going to start having these boyish tendencies just to get into stuff. And so I know as a father, and as a parent, and as a loving dad, I'm going to have to give him guardrails, and I'm going to have to set some bearings up to say, Rush, look, you can do this, all this stuff. Look, toys. Ooh, Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah, look at all that. But you can't get into the knife drawer and you can't touch a hot stove, and you can't stick your finger in the power outlet, man. You just can't. And I'm going to have to lay these, these boundaries, these guardrails out for him to protect him from that stuff. Am I trying to be a punk dad who just wants to ruin his fun? No. Am I trying to make his life miserable? No. What I'm doing is I'll have to set these guardrails out to keep him from the pain and the consequences of those things that I know that will hurt him. Make sense? So God, in the same way, lays out these commands and these decrees before Adam and Eve. He sets these guardrails out and says, look, 
you can be blessed. You can live in all this stuff that I'm giving you, but don't eat of this fruit because when you do, you'll die. And I want to save you from those consequences. God didn't give them death. God didn't create death. God didn't create pain and give them pain. But that was a natural result and a natural consequence of their sin. And so as a father, he's laying out these guardrails and saying, don't do it. I'm trying to protect you. Well, Adam and Eve didn't listen. And Adam got into the knife drawer. And he cut this wound in him and all of humanity that bled sin and that bled destruction. And because of his disobedience then, he stepped outside the guardrails and did his thing. And then he and the entire human race suffered the consequences. And so the word of the Lord for us is given to us not to ruin our fun and not to come down on us and say, you can do all this, but yeah, to be mean, you can't do this. But no, it's to protect us and it's so that we can live in God's absolute best for our lives. So Adam and Eve sin, they royally mess up just like any of us would in the garden. And a couple thousand years later then, this dude Moses shows up. Like, woolly-haired, big-bearded, staff-wielded Moses. He's ready to, like, lead these Israelites, the people of God, out of the promised land. He's ready to bring—or, out of Egypt and into the promised land. He's ready to bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey that God promised them. And so Moses does just that. He, he grabs the Israelites. He takes them out of Egypt. They escape. They get to the edge of the promised land that God had promised. And the Israelites, what? They didn't heed the word of the Lord. They disobeyed. Though God said, look, this land is yours. I don't care who's in it. I don't care how big the people there are. The land is yours. The fruit is yours. Everything in this land is yours. I've given it to you. But the Israelites, at the very edge of the wilderness, they literally had to take a step, and they were in the promised land. They disobeyed, and they didn't heed the word of the Lord. And so then, out of their disobedience, they were forced to walk the wilderness for 40 years. And some scholars estimate that Israel at this time was upwards of 2 million people. So imagine, like, the mental strain that Moses had to bear on these Israelites. I mean, these guys were the thorn in his side, leaning him across the wilderness. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I hate this stupid man. Uh, you know, like, complaining And Moses just, he was faithful, he was steadfast, and he led him through the wilderness. But there came a time where Moses, we see, actually disobeys God too. And so out of his disobedience, then the Lord says, Moses, I'm sorry, but you can't be the leader anymore that leads these people into the promised land. Like, you just can't. Your disobedience has caused you to have to stop at the edge of the promised land and let the children of Israel and the generation of Joshua go on. And so... Moses, finally, after the 40 years, gets to the edge of the promised land once again for the second time in Israel's history. And they're at this mountain, and they're overlooking the promised land. And Moses says, you know what? I know I got one last thing to say to you guys because God's revealed to me that I'm going to go up on this mountain, and as soon as I'm done talking to you, I'm going to die. And then Joshua's going to take the reins, and he's going to lead you guys into the promised land. And so Moses is coming up on this big moment where he has one last thing to say to the Israelites. It's kind of his last inaugural address, if you will. He's coming up, and he says, all right, Israel, look, here's what I have to say to you. I'm about to die. We've been through a lot. We've been through the thick and thin, the last 40 years of pain and hardship, and here's what I have to say to you. And those words are the words of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, this whole book is the last message of Moses and these last parting words of Moses. And 
Um, we're going to look at a couple passages in Deuteronomy and see what exactly Moses was about and what his core message was when he was talking to the Israelites right before they were about to take the promised land and right before he was going to die. So we're going to look at two passages. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 10, and then we're going to look at Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 20. So you can turn to both of those and keep your place in both of those but we're going to start in chapter 6. And here's what it says. Deuteronomy 6.5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And he continues this train of thought and this teaching in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. So let's jump there. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So he's repeating and reinforcing what he was talking about. In the previous passage, you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so here Moses, the core idea of his message, the crux of his final words to the Israelites, when he's about to die and when the Israelites are about to go into the promised land, he's saying, look, Israel, keep the words of God in front of you. Keep them in front of you. Tie them on your head if you have to. Put them on your wrist. Woohoo, yeah, tattoo verse. There we go, yeah. Woo. Put them on your wrist. Keep them in front of you. Talk about it when you're in the car. Talking, talk about it when you're with your friends sitting down eating dinner together. Talk about it when you're walking. Talk about it when you wake up, when you go to bed. Whatever you do, keep these words of God in front of you. Because Moses was speaking to, remember, the Israelites who had just spent the last 40 years in rebellion and in disobedience and in sin. And so he was looking at the Israelites in the wake of their disobedience and saying, look, I know that you, O Israel, have the propensity, the bent, the leaning to sin. And so I'm telling you to keep the words of God in front of you. But Moses also wasn't just talking to the Israelites in the wake of their sin, but Moses knew full well the sin of Adam and the sin of Eve. And he was speaking in the wake of their sin because most scholars believe that Moses actually penned the words of the entire Pentateuch. A lot of people believe that Moses wrote Genesis through Deuteronomy. And so it's probable that Moses himself was writing the words in Genesis 3 that we were just talking about. The fall, the sin of Adam and Eve. And so Moses was speaking to the Israelites in the wake of their sin, but he was also speaking in the wake of Adam and Eve's sin and the the sin of humanity as a whole. And he's saying, look, guys, humankind at large has this propensity, this leaning to sin. It's just in our nature now. It's who who we are. We're defined and, and smitten by sin. We have this leaning to sin. So the remedy And the antidote is to keep these words of God in front of you so that you may not sin. Because we see that in Moses' teachings and in the word, that as we keep the words of God in front of us, well then when we obey the word, we can walk in God's ways. And we we can stay steadfast to his promises. And we can do what he says and keep our finger out of the socket. And, and not get shocked and not get cut and not get burned because we've obeyed the commands of our God. 
And then, finally, thousands of years later, Jesus Christ comes to the scene. Our Redeemer, our Messiah, our hope. He comes, and now we're back where we started in Luke 4, where he's baptized. And before he begins his ministry, he has to go into the wilderness and is tempted. And so here, Jesus In his temptation, we see an incredible parallel at work because we see Adam, the first Adam, was tempted in this lush and fruitful and life-giving garden, and he was overcome by sin. And then we see Jesus, the second Adam, as Romans tells us, the second Adam came to this barren wilderness, this lifeless, dead, deserted place, and he overcomes sin. You see, Adam was tempted in this garden that was bearing fruit and brought death to it. But then Jesus comes to this wilderness, this barren place of desolation and sin, and breathes life into it through his obedience to the word. Where the first Adam fell, the second Adam overcame. Why? Because when we look at both Jesus and Adam, they were both Jesus' sons, right? They were both sinless at the time. They both had been given the word of God and had the words of God in front of them. But where Adam forgot the word and disobeyed, Jesus remembered the word and obeyed. And then he overcame sin for the entire human race. Because he he heeded the words of Moses and he kept the words in front of him and said, You know what, Father? No. Thou shalt not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. No, you shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test. And in his action and in his practice of keeping the word in front of him, He became the second Adam, bringing life to all humanity. Adam wrecked the garden. Jesus restored the wilderness. And he brings life to the dead places in our hearts that Adam caused. And thus, he becomes this living example of Psalms 119.11, where it says, I have hidden your word, O God, in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Jesus understood that when he gets the word of God in him, then he could keep it in front of him as he spoke it and as he meditated on it, and then he overcame sin. And so what we're to learn from Christ's discipline in the word is that Jesus kept the words of Moses and kept the word of God in front of him. Because remember, Jesus was still man, right? Jesus did not overcome sin out of his deity and did not overcome sin out of his being God. Because if he did that, then we would have no model of how we're to overcome sin. But Jesus, in his humanity, just like we are, he overcame sin through the word. And he's modeled to us that we, in order to overcome temptation, we need to take up the sword of the Spirit and the word of God and use it and defend against the attacks and the sins and the temptation of the enemy. And so we see that this discipline of the word of God isn't about what time we wake up. And it's not about what time of day we read the Bible. And it's not about the devotions that we may read with the Bible. And it's not about this Bible reading plan. It has nothing to do with any of that. But, but the Word of God, what it's for is so that we can keep it in front of us and use it to overcome sin. And then once we overcome sin, then we can walk in his promises. Because we see that time and time again in Scripture, obedience to God allows us to walk in the promises of God. The more and more we keep the word, the more and more we walk in his ways, the more and more we're obedient to this written, canonized book, absolute truth that God has laid out before us, the more and more we can live blessed, and we can live without getting cut, and we can live without being burned, metaphorically speaking, and we can live without slipping into sin and paying the consequences of it. But as we keep the word of God in front of us, as Moses told us, and as Jesus modeled to us, well then... We can overcome temptation, and we can live as the true people of God. 
So there are a lot of ways to apply this message to our lives. Some of us may take away um, the, the practice of maybe writing scripture on note cards. Like, okay, I'm going to keep the word of God in front of me by, by writing verses on note cards. That's what my wife, JC, does. She wakes up, she reads the scripture, and she, she writes scripture on note cards and puts them around the house as a way of keeping the word of God in front of her. Some of you may want to jump on your computer and add calendar reminders of verses and scriptures, and, and they pop up on your phone and computer, and that's the way that you remember the word. Some of you may just want to wake up earlier and memorize the word, and, and actually, as Jesus did, store it up in his heart so that then you can speak it, and you can remember it, and you can recall it. But at the very foundation, at the very core of this, we need to be spending time in the word of God every day. As the people of God, we are to feed on his words. We're to keep the word of God in front of us daily so that we may not fall into sin and so that we can remember the word of God and obey it when we're tempted. I think of it this way. I got a little illustration that I want to show you guys. Um, And in order to do this, I need my good friend Coke Capshaw to come up. Everybody make some noise for our good friend Coke. Woo! And and I, I see... That one's mine, man. You, can, you, can't take the, you can't take the green one. What better way to explain this than with lightsabers? Right? Okay, so this is my boy Coke. Coke Capshaw. Everybody say, hey, Coke. Coke is actually uh, a new leader here at the mill, right? This is your first week. You, you, you're serving for the first time this week. Trial by fire right now is what we're doing. So, um, so Coke. Coke is a great guy. Coke's awesome. He's a man of God in real life. But let's say in this illustration, he's the enemy. He's Satine, as they say in Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> so he's Satine. You are Satine. And, uh, and I'm going, and I'm just Josh. I'm just human. I'm like any one of you. And I'm going through life and doing my thing. So, so Satine has a weapon, right? Oh. And I have a weapon. Oh. But... Remember, my weapon is the word of God. My weapon is the sword of the spirit. So in this first scenario, keeping the word of God in front of me um, really is the only thing that can help me to overcome sin. But if I don't have it in front of me, then it's like having my sword over here, right? So I'm going through my day, and I'm in conversation with some people, and let's say we're at Chipotle, snacking down on a barbacoa burrito. And, uh, and we're chatting, we're talking about football, we're talking about politics, we're talking about the backflip that we did yesterday. And right there, in that moment, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Satin shows up. <gasps> Everybody gasp. <gasps> Satin shows up. And all of a sudden, I'm tempted. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just have these desires to gossip about this person. Like, I, I remember now that this person... I don't know, made fun of my haircut or, or spit on my shirt, and I just want to, like, gossip about him and tell these people at Chipotle about how terrible this person is. Well, I have the temptation to gossip, and if I don't have the Word of God in front of me, and if I haven't been spending time in the Word for the last couple weeks, and I'm a little dry, and I'm a little uh, weak, well, then that's like the sword's over there. So by the time I try and go, oh! By the time I try and go to get my sword, Satine just cuts me down, and then I'm overcome by my temptation, okay? So that's scenario number one. This is scenario number two. That kind of hurts, Satine. Gosh. This is scenario number two. So, I got the sword right here. Hang on. Gosh. Okay, forget it. I got, the, I got my open lightsaber in front of me, my sword, right? So, this scenario... 
I'm, I'm going through, through my day. Let's use, uh, okay, let's use my bank account. So I'm going through life, and I'm hanging out and feeling good. Just filled up my tank. Um, life is good, whatever. I'm headed to the mill, but right before that, I open my computer, and I bring up my bank account. I got a Wells Fargo account, so let's say I open up my Wells Fargo account, and my account number is now in the single digits, the amount that's in my account. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have $9 to last me the rest of the year. (laughs) How the heck am I going to do this? And so then, all of a sudden, Satine shows up again. (gasps) And he says, you know what? God's not going to provide. Nope, that $9, that's it. Better make it last. Better stock up on some ramen. Better get to the side of the street and beg. Like, you're, God's not coming through. And so then I'm tempted to worry, and I'm tempted to freak out, and I'm tempted to lose faith and trust in my God, though I know he's been so faithful to me in the past. But if I have the sword close by, and if I've been spending time with the Lord in the last couple of weeks, if I've been feeding on the word of the Lord and, and nourishing my spirit and keeping the words of God in front of me, then I have my lightsaber. So by the time Satine attacks, I'm like, no! And I overcome him because my sword was close by. Everybody give my boy Coke, a.k.a. Satine, a hand. Thanks, my man. Appreciate it. So... Goofy illustration, but the point is this. I think you guys know where I'm going. The more we keep the words of God in front of us as the people of God, and the more we are disciplined in the word of God to to hide his words in our heart and to store up his words and to be obedient to his law, well then we have our sword close by and we can defend against any attack of the enemy. And then we can truly walk in the promises of God because remember, obedience to God allows us to walk in the promises of God. And that's only by using the scripture, the sword of the spirit that we have. That is the word of God. So as we wrap up this morning, I want to give you one last discussion question to talk about in your groups. And it's not about Satine, and it's not about Peyton Manning. And hopefully I've phrased this one well enough to where, you know, we don't have to follow up about it. But discussion number two says this, what I want you to talk about. What can you do practically and personally this week to ensure that you're keeping the word of God in front of you. Okay, so this one's real practical. What can you do personally and practically this week to keep the word of God in front of you as Coke is trying to shut that lightsaber because it's still not closing? All right, ready, set, everybody. Discuss. All right. Well, I love this question because it's, it's such a practical question that we can kind of wrestle through and figure out some ways that we can keep the word of God in front of us as the people of God. And I didn't even really think about this until just now, but I I feel like I want to share this. There's this app, and whoever created this app, you know, I'm I'm repping them right now hard, and I didn't didn't plan on this, but it's this app called Verses. And so I know for some of us, depending on our personalities, opening up the word of God and just, like, the Bible itself— and just kind of memorizing some scripture straight from the page can be a little dry. Um, For some of you, that may work, but for others of us and our personality, I think it it can be maybe a little more difficult. So for for those maybe more eclectic, creative ones, love your iPhone, um, there's this verse app where you can partner with people, and you can share 
uh, verse sections, you can share passages, and then you can, there's like different games that you can go through that help you memorize it, and then you can also keep each other accountable because you're learning them through your phone. So kind of fun. I'm not obviously like pushing that hard, but I just thought of it for the people who are thinking, I don't know, like nothing's really worked. I've tried these things and nothing's really stuck. I don't know. You might want to give the verse app a shot. But uh, as we close, I want us to read Psalms 119, verses 9 through 12 together, and it's going to be on the screen. And as we wrap up, I want us to, to turn this verse into a, the prayer for our lives, and to not just say it rotely or out of routine, but let's, let's really use this as a prayer for the coming week and the coming years we're seeking to keep the Word of God in front of us. So let's read this all together and pray this out. How can a young person stay pure by obeying your word? I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. Let's pray together. God, you are the God who meets us where we are and who gives us all things that we need to overcome temptation and to live pure and to live as the people of God. We thank you that we have the word. God, it's, it's it's in book form. It's on our phones. It's, it's everywhere around us. We have complete and free access to it. God, we're a generation of people who are truly blessed because we have the word of God. And we ask, Lord, by your spirit, this week and this month and in the coming year, that you would help us to hide your word in our hearts. God, that the sword of the spirit, the word would be close to us. That in our times of weakness and in our times of temptation, And when in the times that we feel weak and tired and burnt out, would you help us to just grab that sword and use it and so overcome temptation and so that we can walk in your ways and live obediently to your word, oh God. We love you. We ask that you would bless us this week. Would you keep us safe? And would you speak to us in new depth and new dimensions this week as we leave this place? And would you bring us back safely next week to continue to nuance and talk and study and get the word of God in us? We love you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the college and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday school.